0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Hey, hey, I hey, hey, I it. hey, hey, I it. hey, hey,
0: that just it.
1: Sound sad. hey, hey, I it. Hey, <sighs> hey, hey, I'm so I'm so sad hey, hey, hey,
0: hey, 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 hey,
1: hey, 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 hey,
2: show of the regular, well, of the season. How you feel about that? Damn it. You <laughs> can go cram it. God damn yeah, it. We, we only going to be off for a few weeks. You know, we got to cover uh, everything else. But hey, we back. Final show of the season. Season 9, uh, episode twenty. It's going interesting 20 20- uh,
1: I'm just moaning. I'm just going to make noises. That'll be my whole contribution to the entire Episode,
2: Joe. What do you think of the game? Uh, how do you feel about the? Uh, <laughs> you know what's crazy though. Like, I'm not even like in a bad mood about it. You know, it is what Because no. I wasn't either. No, no one. I don't think anyone really expected it to be as good of a season as it was. You know, with all the, all the changes, new coaches and everything, turnover at the receiver position. Like it was an entirely different receiver core, and half the line was different. So, no one really expected this season. For it to turn out the way it did, I think that it'd be hard to be disappointed.
1: And, it, you so, know, we
2: what, should feel better. As much as, much as it was disappointing at the end, end,
1: end, we should feel better about this season than we have for the last 14 years, you know? Hell yeah.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the, especially when you just look at the overall turnaround. Like, they were ass. Like, you got to give them credit for that. You know, so it was just a, a positive season for the most part and just didn't quite end the way that I think people wanted. I think the, the hype got so big, you know, <laughs> the hype got so big, everyone got so big. and it everyone was expecting, like, oh, we got to go all the way. You know, we even had, you know, Ben Albright say, we should be thinking, you know, Super Bowl, you know, things like that. So it is what it is. It was a good season. I'm looking forward to this offseason. This is going to be a really telling offseason, but we'll get to that later. Huge offseason.
1: You know, it was it. That, that was one of the things that I didn't understand. Well, and I get it. You know, you start when you get a season like this. You know, week three, week four, it's like, hey, we're not too bad. Week five, week six, it's like, hey, we're pretty good. By week nine, you had some dudes who really didn't think their shit stank. You saw Rams. I saw right. Rams all week. I'm not. I'm not worried about the Falcons. You know, what? They just went to the man. Just spouting off like, yeah, a, what's wrong with y'all? Right. But uh, it was what it was, nice. and you know, and the thing was. It was, and we had reason to be, you know, confident and excited, but this was getting a little silly for some cats. The, the cool thing was, you know, L.A. delivered on the experience. I went to the game, sat fifth row. It was dope, and it was great. It was, L.A. showed out. It was a great crowd. I know Cronky I don't know why he threw that home field advantage comment in there of all times <laughs> after this one, but uh, it
2: was great. There, was, was there should be no complaints about, about L.A. He was one of those guys that thought that he was on that he was untouchable on cloud nine. I guess he thought he, he, thought he was the man at that point. But, yeah, quickly, but it was how quickly, it was a good out. it was
1: a good look for LA. And then you know, I guess how do how do we want to break this down? Where do we need to start?
2: I mean, we got to start with the loss. <laughs> we got to start yeah. with the loss. How the season mm-hmm. ended. You know that loss to Atlanta. You know we, we got to recap it just the way we do uh, any other one. And the simple fact of the matter is. I watched, the, I watched it twice, you know, like what wh- three times. And you know, I watched it live, and then I went back and watched the coaches' film twice. And my what I said to begin with never changed. And it's that uh, Sean McVay outthought himself. You know, he was really focused on um, trying to surprise them. You know, the expectation is always oh, going to give it to Gurley, and he did what I've been complaining about since week five or week six or whatever it is. Now that he gets so caught up in trying to surprise him that he gets away from it too much. You know, the fact that Jerry Goff had 45 attempts to tie Gurley's 14 rushing sure. attempts is, is mind boggling. Like that should never happen. <laughs> like that should not be the case. You only ran the ball 16 total times for the game um, and you were running it unbelievably well. And, and the thing about the Falcons is that they are supposed to have one of the better run defenses in the playoffs. Like this has been a continuous, continuous theme over the, five, the last four or five weeks where you go against these defenses that are supposed to be really good against the run and you're having great success, but you don't always stick with it. Titans were supposed to be really good against the run and Gurley had a career day. He had the best day of any running back this year. You know, the Seahawks, they're supposed to have a really good run defense. Yeah. The Falcons in the playoffs is and, they all got gashed. The Eagles were supposed to have an amazing run defense, and he just killed them, but you got away from it again. And those things throughout the season, you know, every time he did it, it kind of caught up to him. There was like two times where he were able to get away with it, but the Rams were undefeated when Gurley had 20 carries, not touches. And that was the huge difference in this game, was just the lack of sticking with the run and coming out, throwing it way too much. You had the fumbles, yeah, by Farrell Cooper. You can't, definitely can't ignore those because they got points off of those. But when you really look at the overall picture, they got points. But this was still a game up until the last five minutes.
0: <laughs> so, yeah.
2: So you you kind of you kind of got to take it to the take it to account that when you look at time of possession, at one point it was like thirty-two or something like that to fourteen. Yeah, that's. That's unheard of, especially in the playoffs. Like they absolutely dominated time of possession, but they weren't putting up points. So, yeah, playing really well, you part
0: had,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Go ahead. I was just, I was just gonna say part of it with the the time of possession, and just the way the game felt overall was that the, yeah. one, the one thing I really wanted to avoid was the was the first quarter being one where the Falcons established themselves. I felt like even if even if we gave up some points, if we came out and scored in the first quarter, kind of like the Eagles game or the Cowboys game, one of those kind of mm-hmm. games where, you know, the Rams look like themselves and maybe they can clean up some things on defense to win, I'd still feel good about it, let alone if we went up big. But what I did want was a slow grind-out game, and it's just not what we're built to do. That's not the kind of game that we play. And it it took us, what, five or six possessions before we got anything going. Because you came in, we got the ball to start the game. We, great, let's put a statement on the ground that this is going to be a game that we dictate the tone of, and you go three and out. And as soon as, as soon as you did that, that already causes concern. The good thing was the Rams came back and stopped the Falcons on a three and out and had a second chance to get it done. Didn't happen. Another three and out. And I think that that alone, when you had two three and outs to start the game and then obviously the special teams deals with the fumbles, isn't going to help anything. But just the tone of that game getting set early on wasn't a tone that was getting set by the Rams. And it, it, it had nothing to do with the score. Score was three nothing, six nothing. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like Atlanta was running them out. It was that the Rams, because it's, it, the way it always works is that if you're the home team, you've got to establish the tone. And if you don't, regardless of what the tone is, the other teams won. And, and, and in this, that that mini battle in the war, Atlanta won that battle to make sure the Rams didn't set a tone for the game and it ended up uh, working their w- favor. And I think that's part of what the uh, time of possession and maybe the play calling kind of played into.
2: You know, I'll even go even further back to two weeks ago where I was saying I didn't think that it was a good idea to sit the starters because the of coming into the game flat. And I definitely yeah. thought they came into the game flat. They just didn't. It, it took a while to look like for they were sure. getting the yeah, it, yeah it, looked sure. like, it, looked, it just looked like they were taking a while to get it going, and, and of course it's offense over defense. Decide the, the it's all about timing and stuff. You know, you pull guys out and you throw off their timing. They, you know, they haven't done anything. They haven't uh, got the repetitions in that much because obviously he, he when you're not gonna start these guys, they're not gonna get as many reps in practice that game that week for that game. So now that you know as they have this week off, you kind of throw off the rhythm a little bit. It takes them a while to get back into the groove. And in doing so, you ultimately uh, kind of kill that momentum when they come into the game, and you could really see it. It took them a while to really get going. Uh, once they got going, they were clicking. The problem was they didn't have enough possessions at that point. but when they had the possessions, they weren't doing anything with it they was just they just didn't have it and that was I think that was kind of the result of sitting those guys and not letting them play so. A couple of rookie mistakes by, by Sean McVay uh, between the the continuous getting away from the run throughout the season really bit him in the butt. And I'll, I'll give it to him. You know, he's admitted every time he could have done it better or get, get girly the ball. Um, but it's like, how many times are you going to have this happen before you realize that you really need to stick with this? <laughs> you know, uh, I saw from him what I see from a lot of, Guys who's good with quarterbacks, that's the that's guy who wants to put the ball in his quarterback's hands too much, you know, if, if, when you don't have to. You know, if you have to, that's a different story. Sure. But the way I look at it is if you're Sean Payton and you have Drew Brees, but you were able to realize, you know what, I've been throwing it way too much these past couple of years. What got me to the Super Bowl was that I was willing to run the ball, even though I had Drew Brees, I'm going to get back to that. And then he does it, and he sticks with it all year. And they didn't really turn it over to Drew Brees until this playoff game. They had to shut down the run, and Drew Brees was like, well, let huh. me remind you who I am. And then he took over. You know, you you want to be able to keep that in your back pocket and pull it out when you have to. You know, if you could have a game like the Texans game where Jared Goff, he he, he threw for less than 20. He uh, had less than 20 attempts. Um, right. That's, like, ideal because you're, like, pounding it. And and when you're able to pound it like that, you know you may not always be able to, but when you're able to pound it like that, you have to stick with it. You got to do the things that work for you. You got to uh, keep your defense off the field, keep them fresh, let them make plays, things like that. But again, it's a learning experience for the young coach. I think that uh, I think it's gonna haunt them. I think it's gonna haunt them. Yeah, all it all should. Time. It
1: should. And he, the the one possession I had to look it up because I wasn't sure if it was the second or third. It was the second possession when we got the ball back. And on Mm -hmm. first down, Todd Gurley gets an eight-yard run. So it's second and two, and the Rams don't get the first down. And I was really – what's the right word? It wasn't even – I was worried. I was worried about what that meant, right? Because that's one of those things where if you got second and two and you can't pick it – and I kept talking about it during the breaks and during timeout, and my sister, I went with my sister the game, she's like, dude, why are you so worked up about that one play? It was like, you you know, you just – you can't. It, it, it does two things. Number one, it fires up the defense. If you're a defense and you get a stop out of second and two, you know damn well you come into the sideline hyped up. Then secondly, right. the, the the you know that you missed an opportunity on offense, and you're not just dealing with a three and out. You're dealing with a three and out when you had second and two. You had them against the wall that where – you had two three and outs to start the game, one from the Rams, one from the Falcons. You get a chance to make the to you know, we're talking about the tone of the game and setting the standard for how this game is going to go. You get a chance to make it work in your favor out of second and two and third and two and you get out of there and punt, that's just a no go, man. And now it's one of those, you know, the analogy I was throwing to my sister who doesn't really understand football, she knows baseball. The Rams had two guys on with no outs, and they didn't get any runs out of it. That's just one right. of those things where it's like, man, <laughs> when you waste that – and she's like, oh, shit, no, I get it now. You're getting everybody hyped up on the defense because they know they got out of a jam, and now they got momentum, and now you're worried about, okay, what's going on, and you got girl, you know, the whole play calling run pass disparity – everything gets thrown off. And that, that to me, was really – I know it's early in the game. I'm not saying, you know, that was the play that the game changed. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. that was the – I remember that play distinct, that series, because that was the one where I was like, man, I am not hyped up about how this is going to go
2: now. No, I feel you. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I was thinking it's kind of the same thing. But, again, I think that kind of goes back to they're just what – there was no juice. They came out very, very flat. And you can't really think of too many times this season where they came out that flat. You know, they, it was definitely um, – it was something that I think that he is probably going to think about next year. If they're in a similar position, do I want to sit these yeah. guys again? So no. um, if it's a situation where you have a first round by, I think that's where it's like, I don't really have a choice. You know, they're going to sit out. So I think sure. you give them some reps in this last game. But then when you have, um, when you don't have that first round by and you have these, these coaches who are thinking, Oh, what should I do? You know, I looked around the league and everyone played their starters except for the Rams and the Eagles, well the Eagles even played their starters. Only the people they the only ones they set down was uh Nick Foles. <laughs> right. everyone, else, sure. everyone else played, you know, they you know, so it's like um the Rams are pretty much the only ones who set the bulk of their starters on both sides of the ball. And uh what'll I think, be I, I real think interesting
1: of- No, I was just gonna say what'll be real interesting is that the Rams are in the same position where this year and it, it, you don't get a lot of these. The Rams had that luxury of knowing that they had a home football game in the wild card where all these other teams, they could have ended up anywhere, you know, in in the mix. So so it was one of those things where you had the three NFC South teams were playing for position in all seriousness, Rams lose the game, and they still got the third seed. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things. I I don't, the chances that we're in that position again, I doubt, but yeah, for sure, if they are, it'll make for a hell of an
2: interesting decision to see uh, if that's the lesson Mm -hmm. that McVay learned. Just look at the growth from this year to last year. The fact that we're looking ahead to next year and we're talking about if they're in this position again, this was not the conversation at all for the past couple of years. That was uh, definitely not the case where uh, you get to the end of the season and it's like, oh, well, you know, next year if they're in this position, no, next year it was like don't be in this position. (laughs) You know, and that just goes to show the the growth of this team. Like they made a lot of strides. Uh, Speaking of strides, let's do a quick recap of this year. So you had Jared Goff, and of course, you know, a lot of these numbers are skewed. I think that's one thing that everyone needs to take into account is how skewed these numbers are. I don't think people realize how much better some of these players' numbers could have been. Um, Jared Goff, 15, finished with 3,800 yards, a little over, he was from 3,804, 62% completion. He had eight yards in attempt. Okay, that's 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 very good, especially considering that he had one of the lowest ever last year. And then the, here's the here's the stat that I love the most is the touchdown uh, percentage, which is right about six percent for every uh, uh every attempt of his four hundred seven four hundred seventy seven pass attempts. About six percent of those went for touchdowns where he took for 28. So he really, really was being efficient with the ball. But then you look at the interceptions and you realize he was protecting the ball as well. He only had seven interceptions and his rating was 100.5. Jared Goff had arguably one of the best turnarounds in NFL history at the quarterback position, probably ever. Um, Just probably the best turnaround that you've ever seen at the quarterback position. It was really, really, really an impressive um, season for him. And I think that he – it wouldn't be a shock at all to see him win a comeback player of the year over – I wouldn't be shocked to see that because of how drastic his turnaround was and at the position he plays. But when I say that the numbers are skewed, uh, I don't just mean they didn't play the last game. The Rams blew out about four or five teams (laughs) where they didn't even play their starters for the majority of the second half. There was quite a few games you know, where, for example, the Giants, they pulled the starters about a series and a half into the third quarter. You know, guy, the guys started getting snatched out of the game right after the 10-minute mark in the third quarter. So when you start taking that into account, you're talking about they missed an entire game in Week 17. And then just from blowing teams out, there's about, there was about five occasions where they got pulled in the second half. You add third time up. You're talking about missing about two and a half games. <laughs> in time, about two and a half games in time that they did not play, so have really been better for Jared Goff and every everyone other starter um, on this team. So you got you got those stats for Jared Goff, which I know you were a fan of. I was a fan of, but here's the, here's everyone's favorite that everybody wants to talk about: Todd Gurley because of the MVP Todd Gurley at the halfway point of the season, they sent they, they, the bye week was right at halfway through eight weeks. Gurley was running for 4.3 yards a carry. And at that point, I had made a post of predicting uh, where everyone would finish with their stats. And I said Gurley would finish around 4.7, 4, 4.7, 4.8 yards. And people were like, well, why do you think that? Why do you think that? One thing that I liked about Gurley through the first half of the season, yeah, you can jump in any second here because I, I know you agree with this, is that the consistency of his runs. You know, he wasn't popping yeah. any or anything like that, but he was consistently getting eight, nine, ten yards. He actually left the NFL in ten-yard runs in first downs by a wide margin. It wasn't even close. He was consistently getting 12-yard runs. You know, he just wasn't getting them that often. And so my argument was when I did that stat prediction for the rest of the season, why he would have such a joke because someone in the comments Said, you know he would have to average like five point two yards a carry in the last half of the season. I don't think it's going to happen. And I was like, I think he's going to pop a couple because it's kind of when you when you have a guy that's consistently getting that ten yards, twelve yards, ten yards, twelve yards. That means you're already at the next level, and you're only one one guy away from from breaking one. You know, so it's like you're due to you're going to make someone miss eventually. And he did. He eventually started breaking a couple of them. You know, where he had quite a few runs go for over twenty yards. And that, I think, was uh, kind of like the, the the turning point for Gurley. Like, he had really began to mature as a runner. Um, really, really turned the corner with his vision, his patience. We saw him literally stop sometimes, like Le'Veon would, you know. And he finished with 4.7 yards. And, again, like Jared Goff, this is someone who didn't play all of the games. Like, sure like can you elaborate on that like how big that is to finish with over 1300 yards and 13 touchdowns and you didn't even really get the opportunity to play the full 17 games like elaborate on that cuz i don't think you really take that into account
1: yeah it's not the, the thing that i was impressed with with Gurley was there were there were times that he could have really fallen off and especially late in the season uh, he could have if you, you know, if the offense had gone another way and it just didn't, whether it was the Seattle game or the tennis, those two games back-to-back, he just took over. And, you know, the it, it's it's not just a statistical output. It's clear when you hear guys talk about Todd yes. that, that the Rams understand how important he is to this offense. And I think that's the, the, the real impressive part, yeah, that they get behind him and they, they understand how, how crucial he is to their success. And it would be great to see him win the MVP, but even if he doesn't, I think we're all pretty comfortable moving forward. The big question I have for him is, and it's, it's one of those things we'll have to wait and see, but obviously we're going to talk about in the preseason training camp, is Todd Gurley going to be the same kind of receiving threat next year? Um, you know, the Rams brought in Lance Dunbar, right, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be his role. But when he got injured, and they've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, Gurley just kind of assumed that responsibility as part of his overall workload. And obviously thrived because it's 788 frigging receiving yards and six touchdowns, <laughs> six, 64 uh, so,
2: receptions. He led the team in receptions.
1: It's crazy, man. That's nuts. So that, that's the kind of thing I wonder, do they, do they want him to maintain that level of, uh, in terms of quantity production and opportunity for the offense, or is that something they want to take off his back to try to make him more effective as a rusher? That'll be interesting to see. You mentioned Goff. Here's the thing that's in the, I think it's a two-sided coin that makes golf a real interesting study moving forward is mm-hmm. – the, the question's going to come in, until the Rams win, and that's only fair, but I, the, I can't help but look around the league and wonder about war. So war is obviously one of these sabermetric stats that came out of baseball – wins above replacement, right? And it, what what is meant to isolate is not how good is a guy or how good is a guy in a system, but how much better is he than his peers? And I think that's the real question for Jared Goff. It's clear that McVeigh's system helps everybody on that side of the ball, right? Even dogs, even dogs messing up podcasts love Jared Goff. What, what's interesting to me, what's going to be interesting to me is when we look at quarterbacks around the NFL,
0: how, how sure
1: are we that Jared Goff is not not necessarily better than them, but is he going to stave off the idea that we wouldn't do better with somebody else, right? That that as great as Jared Goff is in this system, would the Rams be even better with somebody different? And I'm I'm not even calling for that, but I know that there will be if only because we're still talking about a guy that has yet to go win a big game with the late-game heroics. I said fourth-quarter comeback when I was talking to Rob, Seattle Rams, before the game, and he was like, no, we've had a fourth-quarter comeback. I was like, man, there was like 12 minutes left. Technically, yes, but we all know what I'm talking about. Those kind of games where Aaron Rodgers goes and wins a game, last drive of the game, or you get – you know, a quarterback that just puts the team on his back, 80 yards, game-winning field goal. Those kind of things. That's what we haven't seen from Jared Goff. And, and coming off of a playoff loss, we all know the expectations. the bar is going to be set higher next year. And like you mentioned we're, we're not talking about this season the way we're going to be talking about previous seasons. And, and because of that, until Jared Goff does that, I think the, the concern is going to grow in terms of can he do that? You asked me before this game, will he? You had to put the mice and screws down. Will he lead That's that drive? Right. And I was like, I'm a, I'm a, I know you did. You loved it, too. And, and it was one of those things where, you know, I wanted him to be able to, and I wish he had had the opportunity really to do it. But the the more time goes on that he doesn't, the more we're going to see that question pop up. Uh, Vinci, Vinny Bonsignore wrote a piece over at the OC register that said Jared Goff erased several doubts with his play and the title's true. And I know he didn't read the title as an editor, but he also wrote in the story about how, you know, Goff erased any concerns. I don't agree at all. I think the concerns are only going to grow and you're going to see the question being asked going into next year only because the Rams lost this game. And it sucks for Jared Goff that that's the way things work,
2: but that's the way things work. It does suck for Jerry Goff that that's the way things work, but,
1: and had such a good
2: season, for right? Me because exactly, it doesn't yeah. work that way for me because I you know, I think that it works that way for most because people don't always take everything into consideration. They people just take things sure. at face value. And one thing about me is I've never been one to put everything on the quarterback. Like I hate when people judge a right. quarterback's success by wins or losses. Like that is the most idiotic thing ever to me because yep. this is the ultimate team sport. There's no sport in the world that requires everyone <laughs> like this does. And it's like you you could have a guy like Dan Marino and they say, oh, well, you know, he never won the big one. Well, he literally carried those teams as far as they got, <laughs> you know. It's, True. It, 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 sometimes I think people forget when you have someone like John Elway who goes and wins it back-to-back. People forget how, how he struggled to win one early on. He won those back-to-back at the last two years of his career. And he won it back-to-back with two of the best teams that we've ever seen. You know, when you look at the weapons he had and you look at Terrell Davis in the backfield, people sometimes forget that you can't really judge a quarterback by wins and losses because the teams may not always be, <laughs> you know, the quarterback can only do so much. Even Tom Brady, as great as he is, Tom Brady, when he didn't have Gronk and he didn't have Amendola Dolan, he didn't have Edelman, there was, a, there was a two-game stretch, I think, this year where he didn't have anyone. And Brady looked very average. <laughs> he looked very average, and the, the Patriots struggled. And so that's why I say you can't always quite put it on the quarterback if they win or lose. Jared Goff in this game, he drove them down the field, really got it clicking. I mean, that's, he made a throw to um Robert to, Woods with uh, Robert, Robert Tyler Higby, where I was just like, man, that was so pretty. But Higby didn't he pull it in. Sense. He threaded the needle. Oh, he I know what you're Yeah, yeah. In the end zone, yeah, he absolutely put it on him. and it's like you got to catch it. And it was very similar to the uh, to the Cooper Cup against the Seahawks, you know, where
1: you have right. it, you
2: there in the end, zone, you didn't pull it in, and then same thing with Sammy Watkins. Watkins left it into his body, and the guy was able to break it up. Why are you trying to catch everything with your body? Put your hands out, catch the ball. Golf put it right where it needed to be, and you've seen against the Titans the very same the exact same situation. He put it where it needed to be, and it was an all hands catch by Sammy Watkins. And you, if you go back and you look at that play, Watkins keeps it away from his body the entire time, and even holds the ball above his head so the defender can't knock it out. That's what you kind of have to do in that situation, and he doesn't. You know, so you so do you put that on golf or do you put that on Watkins right there? Or do you right. put the first one on Tyler Higbee or you put it on golf? You know, so I look at it, and I say, you know, I don't want to I don't want to uh, pin too much on him. Um, I would say the only time that he dropped the ball or turned it over, but dropped the ball, so to say, is when against the Redskins. You know, that interception was a stare down if you've ever seen one. (laughs) You know, so other than that, I I, I think that he had an exceptional season. One guy this season I think got overlooked is Michael Brockers. And I feel like about the difference he made. Um, It was touched on a little bit throughout the season. We touched on it. Other people touched on it. But then you really got to see it up close and personal in this playoff game. The difference he made with the position change moving to the outside this year. Like, let's just let's just discuss that a little bit. When he went out, that was a completely different defense. And,
1: and I think it, it just reinforces number one, how fortunate the Rams have been to be as healthy as they have been the last two years. But two, the, I mean, the, the how thin they are in terms of depth at a lot of positions. And, you know, that's not necessarily new for the Rams or different for them versus anybody else. But you got to be real about it, man. I mean, this is not a team that had to deal with major injuries the way that most other teams did. And it hit them in a big way in the final game, which, you know, should let us know, yeah, Michael Brock is that damn good and important that, you know, games can really revolve around his availability, but two, the Rams got real lucky with with injuries this year. And, and and just to get they were the only team that had the five starting offensive linemen all sixteen games. That's crazy.
2: Right. <laughs> that was definitely crazy. And when you talk about when it hit them in the playoffs where you lose Rockers, you know, people I don't think everyone's taken into account how the Rams run defense looked before Brockers and how it looked after Brockers (laughs) you know Aaron Donald there's so much attention that's put on him by us and by media in general and fans and everything he gets so much credit and I think people forget just how good Brockers has been this year Um, Brockers really balled out you know uh, both in pass rush and run defense and when he went down you really saw Devontae Freeman get clicking (laughs) you know you, you saw Devontae Freeman get the clicking and it wasn't that really long runs, but it was just consistent four yards, five yards, just constantly picking it up. And then you throw in tackles, the fact of the missed tackles and things like that from Alec Ogletree, which there has to be something done about that, right? <laughs> it. Right. It's getting to that point where you're just like, okay, enough is enough. But again, when Brockers went out, all of that changed. And, I mentioned that I put the emphasis on that for this reason and this reason only. When you're talking about going into next year, you know, you signed Michael Brockers to a three year deal, okay? From what I understand and what's been said, they're in no hurry to get Aaron under long term. This is one thing I've never understood <laughs> because I look at it and I say the way that contracts work every year the price goes up. Okay, sure. Aaron Donald isn't one of those guys that you look at and you say, "Oh, well, he might fall off." Yeah, I don't doubt it. Even if he got injured and missed the season, someone would be to drop eighty million on Aaron Donald. <laughs> That's with an injury, you know. Aaron, Aaron Donald is going to be a hundred million dollar man. No ifs, ands, or buts about Easy. it. But, Easy. But but if you're trying to hold out and you want him to play out through this 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 um this fifth year um option. And then you want, and then you're thinking about franchise tagging him after that. Do you know how much cheaper it would be to sign him right now, as opposed to two years from now when you have Michael Brockers who's going to be a free agent as well? <laughs> so, you, you are you're creating a terrible storm because you those guys work so well together, and you're creating a storm. I, don't, I think people forget that when Michael Brockers was drafted, he was 20 years old. He was very young, so he's only 26. So when that time comes, him and Aaron Donald are both going to be 28. <laughs> in their prime, <laughs> and there's going to be teams flocking for them if you don't get it done now. That's why I think it's important that you have to get uh, Aaron Donald signed um, sign just, just to move things going in the right direction to keep that, that nucleus in the middle of that uh, defense together because of the importance that Michael Brockers showed that he has to that team. Are you yeah, it's wild. Now, well, the, th- the thing that's interesting about I was
1: just reading Sneed's comments. I'll read them out loud. Here's what he said in his uh, interview with the media today. I don't know necessarily. He was asked if Aaron Donald was the first priority, and he said, I don't know necessarily in terms of last to first. What I do know is he's an important domino. But the way we attack that list of names, I can't say that Aaron would be first. We'll have them all going on simultaneously and try to knock them out. We've got a little bit of a general plan as it is now. We'll come back and fine-tune it. To be honest with you, I'd be lying. I'd be probably lying if I put a timeline on this one. But like I've always said with Aaron, we want him to be a Ram a long time. So when we ink that deal or not, I can't put a timeline on it. But it is a major priority, as it always will be, until we get it done. So, yeah, that's not, you know, going to inspire the most confidence instead of saying Aaron Donald's a beast he's not, or whatever you could say to kind of assuage the concerns of Ram saying going into this. But certainly it's going to – develop some more concerns until they get him signed. What's interesting is I can understand what he means in not being the main priority right now, because you got him locked up and you got a long list, six starters out of this list of free oh, yeah. agents. I'll go ahead and read them. <laughs> Here's the unrestricted free agents. Connor Barwin, Derek, I'm doing these alphabetically. Connor Barwin, Derek Carrier, Cody Davis, Lance Dunbar, Dominique Easley, Trumaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, Cornelius Lucas, Jake McQuaid starting long snapper, Nickel, Roby Coleman, john sullivan tyron walker and obviously sammy watkins now beyond the unrestricted free agents you got some restricted guys in troy hill malcolm brown matt longacre bradley marquez and daryl williams and then zach Lasky is an ex, uh, what's it called extended rights or whatever it is the erfa for guys that have less than three um yeah. what do you think man what's your what's your, where where do you think you're most interested in in terms of the unrestricted free agent?
2: Uh, for me, I have to look at the defensive side of the ball. Um, Tremaine, There's Johnson, so many of them, ugh, my goodness, <laughs> Tremaine Johnson, LaMarcus Joyner, like you have, a <laughs> you, you, you really had a lot of depth in your secondary two, three years ago, you know, and now you have none for real. And if you get back into that situation where you let these guys get away again, again, <laughs> You don't have anything to cover. Like, you had these guys to cover yourself, so you were able to play that Russian roulette, you know, with a fully loaded gun, and you lost. <laughs> you don't have that option now. You know, you have to bring back at least one of those guys, whether it's LaMarcus Joyner or Tremaine Johnson. Uh, you have to bring back at least one of those guys. Uh, is Tremaine Johnson worth $16 million a year? No, he's not. Uh, he's a very, very good starting corner. Um, I love his tackling. I think they he has great skills. But he's a big corner that's a little stiff, you know. So sometimes he can get lost when a guy comes out his break if he doesn't read it perfectly, and that's that's his that's his number one flaw. That's that's it. That's that's the biggest flaw of his game right there. He's physical. He's big. He's strong. He's a good tackler. Great ball skills. All those things. But it's just that he's stiff and he doesn't have long speed. That's it. Uh, you look at Lamarcus Joyner though. Now that's where it's interesting. You know how I feel about Lamarcus Joyner. <laughs> it's no sure. secret how I feel about Lamarcus Joyner. I was Huge fan of his at Florida State. You go back and look at my scouting report. I was like gushing over him, and I had him in our, my, I had him in the mock draft, which was a bit of favoritism, but also it was also a need. So <laughs> I covered both grounds there. But uh, the Marcus Joyner, I think, if you're stuck trying to decide who to sign between uh Tremaine Johnson and Lamarcus Joiner has to be Lamarcus Joyner. Um I just there's just no real holes to his game. You can try to point to his size, but it means absolutely nothing. Um he was the most efficient open tackle field tackle this season. By far. <laughs> it wasn't even close. You know, he had great coverage grades, good run defense. Like he just he didn't have a he had one missed tackle all year. You know, and he didn't really ever have a bad game. Even when you go back to last year, he didn't have a bad game. Uh, He's he's just really kind of hitting his stride and taking off, and you can play him all over the field, and you have to love that. The fact that he can play deep and cover the center, or he can cover a half, or he can come down into the box a bit, or he can go to slot. Those things are so valuable. You look at the uh, interception he had on the first play of the game of the season. (laughs) Yeah, that, that interception, he's in the slot, and he reads it so perfectly, and his break, his leap, his catch, his spin, his little peril, you know, <laughs> catches it, tiptoes the sidelines, and take off with a score. It's like he's an impact player that really is – he puts the emphasis on the word safety, as he stopped a lot of big plays this year. And when he was out, you saw a difference yeah. this season. So I definitely would say that I got to start on that side of the ball. I'm taking LaMarcus Joyner. Who, what are you- a free agent that you got to gotta bring back.
1: Oh, that you got to.
2: Um,
1: if 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 there was one besides Lamarcus Joiner that I would make a case for, it would probably be Nikhil Roby Coleman, only because he was so good in that role. And I get it was a limited role, but damn, yeah. I did not expect him to be that consistent all year, and shutting down that position. That that that'd be the one that I'd point to that you got to. Because even if you lose Trumane Johnson. You've still got a little bit of dead. You've got to wait and see what the prognosis is on Kayvon website. I know he's not your favorite, but if, we- if he's coming back healthy, that's different than if he's not. If that Achilles a- is something a- where they're really worried about him, what up? Go
2: ahead, say it. has been a while, so fuck Kayvon Webb. There you go. You had to get
1: it out of your system, i feel tell you. we We got to see. It's one of those things that they'll know by the time they get to the combine what the decision is. Les Snead said they're going to wait until after the Super Bowl to really get into the brass tacks to figure out where they're at with stuff. But you can, you can always go get a cornerback either in free agency or through the draft. I think what will be diff- difficult is getting somebody of a specific role like Roby Coleman's or the other one that's going to be obviously real interesting, whether or not they did tag him, will be Sammy Watkins. And, you know, Sosa wrote a good piece. If people haven't gone to read it, go check it out now. It's on the site evaluating the Sammy Watkins trade that there's – There's a couple things I would throw out there about Sammy Watkins. I threw some of them out there in that piece that I wrote while I was on the plane back from LA. Number one, I think one of the things you can say about Sammy Watkins to kind of justify the trade or justify his value is that over the course of whatever it is that you point to, whether it's, he makes, you know, guys around him better by opening up space and lets guys go against, you know, like Cooper cup and Robert Woods go against the third and second cornerbacks, those kind of things. Those arguments that you point to, you kind of have to point to them over the course of a 16-game season to really merit their value, right? When when Robert Woods goes up against a second cornerback and only gets like two catches for 40 yards, that's not something that you want to point to, you know, to justify Sammy Watkins' existence. It's what he does over the course of a season and maybe what Robert Woods was doing against the Atlanta Falcons that you can point to Sammy Watkins, not necessarily one game. And I know that's against what I just said with the Falcons, but I think you yeah, kind of have to point to the fact that Sammy Watkins was healthy all year and able to provide that cover. That'd be number one. Number two, Sammy Watkins was very productive in terms of touchdowns without getting a ton of targets. And I, I'm not sure why that was, obviously we're going to have to look at it through the off season, but that's something really interesting to look at. Cause if he's a red zone threat that the Rams feel comfortable with, that may provide some value versus being a deep threat that most, people would conventionally suggest, Sammy Watkins is, that we may have to take into consideration. The third and fourth thing are where things things get a little more uncomfortable. Sammy Watkins, and this is what I wrote, Sammy Watkins did not have a productive final game in terms of statistics to close out the season, right? He finished that game. Robert Woods had nine catches on 14 targets for a whopping 142 yards. Sammy Watkins had one catch for 23 yards. And there's just no way to get around the fact that in the Rams' biggest game, Sammy Watkins didn't do much. And it's going to be very, very, very hard to support any kind of a long-term deal for a guy who just put up one catch for 23 yards in a playoff game for you. I'd say that, number one. The one that I'm struggling with more is we've talked about McVay's system, and this may be something you're more interested in investigating, Bison. We've talked about McVay's system and the diversity of the offense, and the fact that it uses a Tyler Higbee over here, Cooper Cup over there, Robert Woods, Robert Woods, Gerald Everett, Todd Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley. It uses all these different targets. And so even if we're talking about replacing Sammy Watkins or drafting another guy or whatever, I think my question is, is that guy ever going to be able to be productive in this system, regardless of who it is, let alone Sammy Watkins? Because if the answer is no, and I think it might be that – that, that what, what McVay is doing is looking for competitive advantages elsewhere that are going to be larger than what you get from Sammy Watkins against the top quarterback. I don't know how you're going to fill that with a, with a similar level of talent, if that makes sense. Where, where if you go in, whether it's free agent market or, you are know, looking through the draft, if you're going to go after a guy and you're bringing him into this system, why would they want to be in the system where you're only going to get four targets as the number one overall wide receiver on the depth chart? That's one of the things I think is going to be real interesting about the calculus for how they decide to either replace him if they decide to, or if we keep Sammy Watkins, everybody's, you, know, you know what fans are going to say. They're going to say, fine, but you better show up this year. And I'm not sure that's even possible. I'm not even sure that's an option.
2: You know, it's funny that you say that because I look at Sammy Watkins know how I felt about the trade like everyone knows sure. there's no secret whatsoever I'm not changing my feelings on it because why would I <laughs> you know Sammy yeah. Watkins it, it was a waste of a second round pick I don't care what anyone says you had, and then you had EJ Gaines who had a, a good year it's like yeah, it, was a waste of a, it was a waste of a second round pick you know you, you, you lost a starting corner who you ultimately ended up meeting <laughs> you know in a second round pick in a loaded draft no. <laughs> no 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 those things just should not happen um i thought it was a bad trade um it turns out it was a bad trade i don't care what anyone says like i'm not changing my mind on that this this is just not a good move and the reason that the you know yes he had his uh i think it was eight touchdown receptions where you're like okay well you know he was kind of a, a red zone threat okay yeah he had some he had some slits where he he got in the end zone But I look at that and I say well It wasn't like he was just out there Balling beasting guys They were slant routes that were designed to get him Open by starting with a rug yeah. Okay so when you look at what was Done, Robert Woods could have did that Cooper Cup could have did that Josh sure. Reynolds could have did that Havoc could have did that Rick Thomas, Terrell Cooper, any of them could have did that You know you could have there And he would have done that You know it wasn't any real effort You know, for you know, where he had to go out there and be this supernatural receiver where he's just killing them with the jump ball or something like that. No, that wasn't the case. He wasn't gronking them. (laughs) You know, it was designed for him to get a wide open window for a half a second. And it was really more pressure on the quarterback to get the ball in the right spot in a split second than it was the receiver to catch it. (laughs) So when I look at the eight touchdowns, you know, I think two or three of them came from further out of the red zone. The rest of them were all red zone catches. When I, look at the, when I look at the eight touchdowns, the only one that really stood out to me was the 49ers game, the second touchdown where he got a concussion down because he fought for that touchdown. The rest of them was yeah. just good play design and executed perfectly. So, no, I'm not really terribly impressed with the eight touchdowns, you know? Um, I thought that he half-assed a lot of routes, uh, which I know I pointed to during the season. There was a lot of half, half-assing on the routes. Uh He could have definitely done better. Um, uh, Getting, working to get on the same page with Jared Goff. One thing I have noticed when they're not on the same page, it was very rarely, if ever, Jared Goff's fault. Like Jared Goff was actually putting the sure. ball where it needed to be, and you just have Sammy Watkins not being in that spot, you know, or I mean, his break hard, or whatever it may be, or quitting on a route. There were so many different scenarios, and he's just like, okay, I'm not feeling this, and I, I feel like part of that had to do with uh, you know what Sammy Watkins has never had a uh, happy the label of being a lazy receiver. I think part of that had to do with his frustration of not being featured, but this wasn't a featured offense. You know, you look at the top. Todd Gurley was 64, Cooper Cup was 62, Robert Woods was 56. <laughs> Those were the reception totals. You know, they were all within eight receptions of each other. So it wasn't that type of uh, offense. And then you have Sammy Watkins all the way down there at 39 as the fourth receiver. Um, I guess it got in his head. And I'm, to me, that's not a good excuse. You know, you're, they just gave you a sure. second-round pick. You missed out on a lot of other opportunities where you could have had 50 receptions. You could have been up there with those guys. Didn't work. And, you know, you're having 15, you know, 15.2 yards of catch. That's actually 11 receptions. You're talking about having another 165 yards, 170 yards. Timmy Watkins could have finished the season with a, a 800 yards receiving, you know, but he didn't. <laughs> so and, and, and I think those things uh, come into account with me more because I was so critical of it. And I'm still critical of it, so I'm a little biased, which I can admit. But I'm not. I'm not crazy about the idea of bringing Sammy Watkins. I think it will cost too much. I think that money can be spent in other places. And I think this is, you know, this the, this team has enough receiver depth to lose him. And if you don't feel like you do, this this is a good draft to go get a guy. There's a lot of good receivers in this draft. I'm just not – I'm not sold on semi-walk. the idea of Sammy Watkins being brought back. Uh, speaking of what, speaking of uh, guys being brought back in the receiver room, what do you think of Tavon Austin? Are we going to see more Tavon Austin next year? Is he out of here? Contract, they're going to renegotiate the contract to keep him around, cut him, because they can cut him without, you know, as much of a hit now. So, what do we yeah.
1: I think? I think you got to let him go. I mean, the – the, there's two things I look at. Number one, no, there's no reason to keep him around from an offensive standpoint because he just didn't provide much. And that, that was a, that, that was by design. McVay didn't have much use for Tavon Austin. Certainly down the stretch of the season when it mattered most, he was not the real factor. Um, and you mentioned it's not going to be all that punitive. The Rams owe him a guaranteed $5 million bonus uh, in March on the 16th, third day of the new year that he's getting. Uh, so that $5 has got to go, but you would save $3 million that you could spend elsewhere this year, and then just under $10 million each of the next three years without any dead money uh, if you release them. I think the other thing you got to look at is kind of what we've talked about when, uh, you know, McVay made sure, and the Rams made sure that some of the guys with different, uh, you know, roster with, with different kind of performance clauses in their contract and bonuses that those were the guys who got to play in week 17, that when you do right by guys, that tends to have a reverberating effect around the league because people say, okay, this is a team that treats their guys well and cares about them in that way. I think there is a level of benevolence in letting Tavon go, you know, prior to free agency this year so that he has a chance to go find a team where he can actually play and try to put together some kind of a renaissance for his career because it's not going to happen with the Rams. And if they just stash him because they can – I don't. I, that seems like a lose-lose to me, uh, and, and the only value out of doing that would be to make sure that uh, you know nobody else gets a chance at being the reclamation project for Tavon Austin. But I don't know how much value there is for that in the first place, especially when you're the number one scoring offense in the in the league and you're just coming off 11-win season. You don't necessarily need to be worried about anybody else. You just need to handle your own business. And I could see some of that business, including letting Tavon go. Uh, pretty early on in this process.
2: I would definitely agree. Like, I could definitely see that band, that man, what, how it all plays out. Um, Tavon is, I think he needs the fresh start too. That's the other thing to this. I think he, he wants it, <laughs> you know, when it comes to, which it's already happened, you know, where they have the end of the year meetings, when you have those end of the year meetings, I look at it and I say, I think he, wa- he wants to be out, you know, and I, I can't really blame him. Um, there was never, a, once Sammy Watkins brought in, there was no longer a place for him. Um, and I think yeah. that's kind of what the role was, all off season for him. You know, he was looking forward to it. McVay was looking forward to it. And then he got hurt. And when he got hurt, then Mike Thomas stepped up. And then his role already started to kind of get diminished by Mike Thomas. And Mike Thomas got suspended. And that's when it opened the door for Watkins. And that was the end of that. Um what he did do in his role I thought he did do well. Uh just the the illusion that he brought to the offense. It helped. Yeah. It helped a lot. Um but ultimately it's not worth the eleven million that <laughs> thirteen million for the year that uh he'd be getting um it's it's kinda goes just for separate ways. I do think that if he ends up in the right situation he can still have a, a, a good good second half in his career. You know, five years in I think he having a, a good second half but It'd be interesting to see how that plays out. So looking forward to the uh off season here. We are officially done, which means you know what that you know what I did? I dropped the big board. I <laughs> dropped the big board. Uh we we are officially done. It's on to getting ready for college, the scouting and everything, trying to make it happen. What's some, I know you I know you love you some uh Saquon Barkley. I know that's your guy. But who else you got who else you looking at?
1: In terms of what? Just being the the top players in the class?
2: Just the guys, yeah, the guys that got your attention.
1: Uh, I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick to me is the best football player in this draft. Um, But Mm -hmm. he's also one of those guys that it kind of doesn't matter what your system is or what position you want him to. Like, if you've got a hole in your secondary, he's the kind of guy that'll play. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. What do you need? You need run defense? Yeah, he can do that. You need, you know, single high pass cut. Yeah, he could do that too. That's fine. It doesn't even matter. Just get him and put him in there. The other two would probably be Quentin Nelson out of Notre Dame. Uh, probably the best guard uh, that I've liked out of college is Jonathan Cooper. I know Cooper's in the NFL yeah. before he never came together. But Quentin Nelson Quentin is an Nelson absolute number beast. 10 on my big board. He's a freak. Um, yeah. And then pr- probably the only other one that I would have that high is the guy that you dropped four different positions for, is Derwin James out of Florida State. <laughs> he's another one of those guys. He's, he's not as strong as a pass defender as Minka is. But, again, yeah. it kind of doesn't matter because he's one of those guys. Like, not every, whatever, not every guy in your defense is going to be a great pass defender. You need some different, you know, skills back there. And Derwin's got a lot of them. He's an athletic guy. He's athletic as hell. He's like every Florida State secondary member, just like Lamarcus, incredibly physical, likes to come yeah. downhill. He's one of those guys that just fits. The only thing I don't like, and it's not even don't like, it's, it, it, there's been a lot of pieces written this year about how this is starting to turn, is offensive linemen coming out of college, outside of Quentin Nelson, obviously, Don't Mm – they're not coming in as clean as they used to in generations past. And this is just one of those drafts where I don't don't really feel good about any of them. Like, there's not a single one that I really, really like. Even the offensive tackles, I know there's a bunch that we're seeing in the first rounds. There's not any – as much as I like – what's his name? Orlando Brown at Oklahoma. There's some flaws in his game where people are talking about, like, top five, top ten. And I'm like, damn, dude. I mean, for a guy with flaws, that's hard to really – you know, support Connor Williams. That's a guy out of Texas who a was injured this year and B going into last year had some huge flaws in his game. So it's just one of mm-hmm. those things that I, I don't know. I don't really feel great about the offensive lineman anymore. What's going to make this draft a lot of fun is that you got so many quarterbacks in the mix. Yes. And so for teams <laughs> that need them, the, number one, this is the draft to go get one. But two, you could see a lot of activity at the top of the draft. Uh, once you, just like we did last year, you know when Chicago moves up to yeah. Trubisky, and that's in a QB thin year, to
2: 10, you're gonna see.
1: I think you're gonna see a bunch of teams doing that. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think I think you're right about that. And it's there's so many, there's gonna be so many moving pieces. I think even when you get towards the back of the first, um, you'll still see guys trying to jump ahead into that the, the end of that first round. Similar to the Teddy Bridgewater year where you had guys right. moving up for. Right. Menzel and Bridgewater and everyone, um, because there were so many quarterbacks in so many different spots in that first round. I, I definitely think we could see four or five go. Um, you look at some of the lo- the sleeper names like Josh Allen, who's going to really go, and no one knows where the hell uh, Lamar uh, Lamar Jackson is going. <laughs> you know, he's he's kind of all overboards right now. So I, I think that, and then don't forget Mason Rudolph. You know, I think that when you yep. ultimately look at the impact of the quarterbacks, they're going to really shape this entire draft. Um, they're gonna be some there's gonna be some fools that pay some food prices uh to move up and jump all over the board to get their guy. And especially when you look at the top of the top of the first five picks, you have the, the Giants and you have the Browns who both are likely gonna get a quarterback. And if they're both getting quarterbacks, then it's gonna automatically force a panic, like, Oh no, they're going quick and everyone's gonna be scrambling to get one. So I think how I think that ultimately helps those teams at the back end of the first round because it kind of pushes everyone else down when everyone's going ahead to get these guys. And you know you know even with everyone going to get them, Taquan Barkley, Mika Fitzpatrick, Bradley Chubb, Derwin James, those guys are still going to all go to the top ten. So it kind of pushes all that other talent down because the quarterbacks are going to be overvalued. So I think it's interesting. One guy that uh, stands out to me um, – and I, I like him a lot. He's not somebody that's talked about a lot, but I think he's gonna he's gonna pick up a lot of steam here over the next couple months. And that's Anthony Miller, um, from, receiver from Memphis. He's a, he's it, interesting, man. He is. He and you. He, I'm about to shock you and everybody listening with who I compare him to, but I can't help it. Like when I watch size, you look at the speed, the routes, the hands, all that stuff, and he kind of makes it up as he goes, just like this guy. Like some of his routes. Or, like, what is that? Like, what do you call that route? What Like, what is that on the route tree? And it's uh, Antonio Brown. <laughs> you know, when I first watched, uh, watched tape of this dude, like, I was just like, man, he really resembles him in stature. You know, then I'm watching him run these crazy routes, and I'm just like, that's Antonio all the way. And he he's productive with it, though. You know, he's productive like Antonio is. This is one guy I think is going to be a bit – he's a sleeper right now, but I don't think he's going to stay that way for long. I think he's going to blow up the combine. I think he's going to have great all-star games. I think ultimately he's going to end up being a, a, a first-round pick and probably go in the top 15, top 20. Um, the other player that I'm really looking forward to, who I think is kind of been forgotten, is Calvin Ridley, and that's because – two receivers, right? But that's because uh, the, the quarterback situation sucks. Terrible. Sure. You know, and I think people forget how good of a receiver he is with his amazing route running, great hands and a lot of speed. Uh, he can run everything in route street. And then the, the last guy, of course, I, I had to put him in there is Baker Mayfield. I'm 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 kind of crazy about Baker Mayfield. Josh Rosen is the guy that I think is the best quarterback in this draft by far, and I think he's a uh, top three player overall, regardless of who you talk to. I have him at number one on my big board right now, but you know, that could change, probably will change a little bit as it gets tweaked. But I, I really like Baker Mayfield. Like, w- like, what are your thoughts on the Heisman weather? Like, Baker Mayfield is, I think he he has a lot that he can bring to the table. What do you think? I think what's difficult about guys like
1: that is you, when – and however you want to talk about it, is improvising, creating plays, secondary action, and I'm not talking about secondary position. I'm talking about after you – you know, make your first read, then what do you do? Baker obviously excels at that. And that was why, you, you know, right. he, was, he was a walk-on and didn't get heavily brought in and those kind of things. And I think it's because he didn't have the skill set in terms of the physicality, but what he did as plays developed made him into the guy that he became. My question with those guys always is, is number one, how much of that was a product of his system? And number two, how much of that was a product of the guys around him? And I don't know, that's one of those things that's really, really hard to know, kind of like what you were talking about with Anthony Miller, right, where he's the kind of guy, Anthony Miller would be the perfect wide receiver for Baker Mayfield, right? You've got to have somebody who, after, after first go, now what do you do? And they're both really, really, really good in those situations. Lamar Jackson is, too. Josh Rosen, not so much. Sam Donald, not so much. But you know those guys that are in that kind of a, that have that kind of a skill set. When you pair them all together, it can work really well. When you don't, there's not a lot to fall back on, especially with a guy like Baker Mayfield because he doesn't have the Jared Goff skill set. And it's one of those if you're gonna do it you you got to go all the way you got to put him with the right guys you got to let him flourish in those kind of situations you can't make him into a Jeff Fisher quarterback where here's what you're going to do regardless of what you see you're going to do it and you're going to run the play and run it to the diagram that's not Baker Mayfield man that's not what he does and that's not what makes him so good so great
2: you know i'm gonna say i'm gonna say this before i uh before we get out of here yeah, so when I dropped the big board, a lot of people in the comments, you know, they, they were reading it. They were like, man, well, why do you have uh, Saquon Barkley so low, even though he's number six on my big board? You know, why is he so low? But then it was Sam Darnold. And so I'll address these two things really quick before we get out of here. Um, Saquon Barkley, he's kind of been all over, you know, my board as I've been prepping it. I've had him as high as number two and as low as number nine, um, no matter what. As far as the big boards go, I think people forget that it is a it is based off of the best or not draft position. But no, no matter what, I think Saquon is a top five pick. No Lord in six. Um, the reason the, the one issue I have with Saquon Barkley is he's such a big back, but you don't really get to see that power. You know, there's a lot, there's a huge focus on his speed and agility, which is really nice. I, I like to compare him to uh, a bigger and faster, which is freaky to say that bigger and faster version of Lashawn McCoy. Um, cause he's so elusive. He's so fast. He's so explosive, but he's way bigger than LaShawn McCoy and way fast. He's just a freak athlete, you know, but you don't really see him put that power on display. You know, he's very finesse and it's hard to really gauge how good he is in between the tackles for two reasons. He doesn't run with power and then his offense sucks. So when teams keyed in on them, keyed in on the run, and stack the box, yeah. he was way less productive. And you can't really tell how much of that is on the offense. You can't really tell how much of that is yeah. on Saquon Barkley. There's a distinct difference between being really good and. And I'm questioning if he's just a freak athlete. And that's, that says a lot because I love Saquon Barkley, if anyone's been listening to this show all year. But it, it, until you can really tell the difference there, I can't really put him above certain guys because of those question marks. In fact, It's what caused him to drop as low as number nine. Um, And then there's Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold just isn't that good to me. I have him ranked 35. He's not a top-ten pick in my eyes. He's going to be one, but I don't think he deserves it. He'll probably even go number one overall to the Browns because Josh Rosen doesn't want anything to do with them. Um, And that's probably smart on his end. You know, there's just not a a lot of success with the quarterbacks there. But still, I I look at Sam Darnold and I'm thinking – there's a, there's a lot of flaws in his name and everyone looks at the potential, but I say this every year, potential gets coaches fired. Production gets extensions. It's just that simple. Potential. Uh, if, you, if, if you, if you're not, if your potential isn't uh, being translated onto the field to where you have uh, pre <laughs> numbers showing that you're worth this position, you're worth this role, you're worth this money. It doesn't work out. And, there's a lot of stuff about Sam Donald's game that scares me: the turnovers, uh, the bad decision making, the inaccuracy. He doesn't really throw with; he doesn't have the timing and the anticipation on his throws. There's so many issues uh, that he he has the potential, he has the size, the athleticism, all of that. But Josh Rosen is head and shoulders above him in every aspect of being a quarterback, and it's not even close. Um, and I feel that Baker Mayfield is better than him. Lamar Jackson is a better athlete than him. With a better arm too, um, just sure, just frill as hell, <laughs> but but way but, but a better arm. Lamar Jackson might have the best arm in the entire draft, probably the best arm we've we've seen since Jamarcus Russell. Like we're not going to compare him to him, but he, his arm is ridiculous, you know. And you look at Josh Allen, who's really kind of under the radar for if you haven't really done the homework. And Mason Rudolph is just solid, just all the way around. So I, I think all those guys are better than Sam Darnold. And when you really compare him up, stack him up to some of the other guys that's ranked in the top 30, 30 on the big board. I don't think he's better right now for his position than a Denzel Ward in his position or TJ Edwards at linebacker from Wisconsin in his position compared to Sam Darnold. You know, I don't think he's better than Mark Andrews who I think is a really good tight end. You know, he's not better than a Roquan Smith. He's not better than James Washington, You know, he's not better than any of those guys at his position as they are to their position. And considering that he's so far down those other guys in my eyes, I don't think he's a first-round pick, and that's why I have him ranked 35 overall. So to those that was asking me why, that's why. um, I don't really see it changing too much for him like it will some other guys on the board, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how he does leading up to the draft and how he performs at the combat. And, of course, I'm going to continue to scout him and watch tape uh, but I'm looking forward to this offseason. It's going to be a fun offseason. It's got a lot of stuff going on um, with the draft. There's a deep draft, very deep draft. Uh, I don't think I've ever – I haven't seen this many seniors at the top of draft boards uh, in a long time because, you know, so many underclassmen comes out. But it's, this is going to be a heavy draft for seniors with all the guys that went back last year. Um, outside of that, you know, we the Rams, they're not going to have a lot of movement in the front office. Greg Olson is going to, he's already accepted the job, but that's probably going to be the only change there. Um, Lesney probably is going to be up for GM of the year with hiring uh, Sean McVay and uh, bringing in Andrew Whitworth and just some of the moves he made. Like he's kind of a, he's not going to win it, but he's, you know, that under the radar guy. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, the NFL awards coming out here in two weeks with Ty Gurley possibly getting MVP. You could, this week the Rams can have the MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year. Kyle and Aaron Donald. So it's a lot of good things going on. Uh the combine next month, uh, pro days after that, and then we're heading into the draft. So it's gonna be a busy next couple of months. Um, however, Joe and I are gonna be off for the next couple of weeks as we get ready for the uh combine. We're gonna be back for that. We're gonna be we're gonna be here all February. Next couple of weeks, though, we'll be off. Uh Joe probably will be traveling because he lives the good life in just takes random trips to Mexico and stuff like that, I guess. I don't know, what you're that's, that's, about? That's, that's how you roll. You, you live on that Mexico budget. You know? I, I, on the other hand, I got to go to uh, Peoria or something like that. But uh, Joe, When, was the, last, when trying... was the last time I took a vacation? When was the last time I took a flight? Come on, man. Let's be real. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Joe just pops up in LA just because that's how he rolls, but it's, it's all good. Yeah, you ain't, you ain't want to bring me, but it's all good. But that's our next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to keep you posted on the schedule throughout the offseason. Again, a lot of stuff going on. So with every new event that comes up for the NFL, from the Combine to Pro Days and the Drafts and going into OTAs and mini minicamps, all that stuff all the way through the summer, we're going to keep you posted on it. But until then, make sure that you're following me um, at Mighty Ormyson. Make sure you're following the show. at turf show times. And I guess if you want, you can kind of sort of follow Joe (laughs) And 3K underscore Uh, That's all we got for you this week And again we'll be back here in a few weeks See y'all Hey
0: Starting is off, the Rams get down so nobody's scores. And don't you worry 'cause the Rams are rapping. When game time comes, we'll back to zapping. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team and the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the LA Rams. Hollywood happy Dodge City tough. If you throw it by way, it's gonna get rough. I like to ram
2: it, as you can see. Nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Jesus. Nobody judges with it, but under this cool. From the end looking for the sacks. I don't stop coming till I put 'em on the back. Limousine within my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon old special team. I know how to rock from the
1: toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a
0: mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago. Hill, take a look at my stock. I catch what they told me, and I like to block. I'm quick off the line as I can be, because I don't want dick running
2: over me. This is
0: baby face, and I don't yield. I'm a Texan fool on the football field. From the Jersey Shores to Baboa Bay. If you run at me, you'll have a bad day. This is RB, on no speedball The Fastest man in the whole damn town. Cards and ladies are part of my creed, but more than that, I feel the need to
2: speed. This is Catcher, out to make a run. With shade done, I can catch a BB in the dark. So now you're ready, and I'm sure you'll agree the ramming is fun when you're Ramming with me.
0: Ram Top Gun, they say I'm as smooth as a runner can be
2: Even sweetness than the others are talking about me I like to dance and have a lot of fun When it comes to ladies, you want a brainy one But enough about me, we're a ram it, you see If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form... The, the Shutdown Shut Fullcast. Full-cast. Full-tron.
1: I keep telling you, we're not Fulltron.
2: The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about... Lawn care disasters. Regional grocery stores we love. Tennessee Batman. Homeowners associations. Bears in video games. I mean, there's also